Hello, welcome back to Come Follow Me with Fair Faithful Answers to New Testament Questions. I'm so glad you are with us today. My name is Jennifer Roach, and we are going to talk about Easter today. Easter and Jesus. As you know, we are going through the Come Follow Me readings and addressing common questions that evangelicals might ask about our faith as we go along. Not to try and give you fuel for debate, um, but just to help you understand your evangelical friends or family members a little bit better and maybe have better conversations with them. The idea being that you, if you understand them, you might be able to offer them some of the gifts of our faith. And those gifts are many. We will see some of them today. Um, so you are probably watching this sometime in April, maybe later. Um, I'm recording this in February and the sky just dumped a foot of snow and it's very, very cold. Um, we look forward to Easter in so many ways. The warm weather is just one of them. Um, Christ and the resurrection obviously are the, the big points of Easter. So today, our Come Follow Me readings, we sort of, we skip ahead from where we were, um, do the readings about the resurrection, and then we're going to go back and finish the Gospels. So we're a little bit out of order right now, but that's okay. Um, we'll go back, we'll pick all the rest of that back up. So I don't have a particular scripture that encompasses the question for this week. But it goes something like this, I'm sure you've heard it. Don't Latter-day Saints worship a different Jesus? If you have been following along, you know that our third this is our third episode on Christology. Christology is the study of, of Christ, of what he was about, of what he was doing. There are many, many aspects to Christology. We've already talked about the question of, is Jesus God? Um, if Jesus is the Son, doesn't that prove the Trinity? and the question of worshiping or praying to Jesus. So if you're interested in those aspects, see some of the earlier videos. Um, and, and we have more um, Christology coming up. Don't worry about that. Um, today, we are looking at, don't you, don't you have a different Jesus? I want to help you understand what they mean when they're saying that. Um, and maybe even come to a, a better understanding of how to answer that. So what we're gonna what we're gonna do, how we're gonna get to that, understanding what they believe, is we're gonna look at one of the really important creeds in mainstream Christianity ha has highly influenced Protestants um, and certainly influences evangelicals, and it's called the Nicene Creed. There's a number of creeds in the uh, mainstream Christian tradition. This might be the one that's the most known. Um, many people have this memorized. And then there are other evangelical churches that no one in their church would have any idea what this is. They've never heard it. They don't recite it on Sundays. They don't learn it in Sunday school. So you get a, you get a wide variety of um, their knowledge on this. So first, I want to talk a tiny bit about creeds as a concept, meaning figuring out what even are they? One of my early questions when I was investigating the church was, wait, aren't the articles of faith just a creed? They certainly read like a creed. Um, the most basic definition of a creed is a brief authoritative formula of religious belief. The articles of faith are brief. 
they're authorita authoritative, they're included in our standard works, and they spell out our religious belief. You could confuse it with a creed very easily. I did at first. So we have to look a little bit deeper than that and see how creeds function. So a creed isn't just a statement of belief for a faith group. It's the statement of belief for a faith group. That is, it means here is what we believe. Nothing can be taken away, modified, or added. It is the singular conceptualization of their belief. And for Latter-day Saints, this doesn't work, right? It doesn't make any sense to us because we believe in ongoing revelation. You can't have both. You can't say, I'm going to nail down our beliefs 100% at a point in time and also believe that ongoing revelation is possible. Is it? There's a tiny little nuanced way that you can, that some people might try to get around that by saying, well, we believe God still speaks, that's ongoing revelation, except for that they don't mean it in an authoritative um, scripture revealing kind of way. So either you nail down your beliefs at a point of time, or you're open to the idea that God might have more to reveal. That, that That's pretty as simple as it is. It's not so much that we disagree with the um, content that's contained in a creed, some of it is that. But more, it's that we disagree with the entire concept of having a creed because that means saying official revelation is closed. And we can't do that. We, we don't say that in our church. So having said all that, let's talk about the Nicene Creed. What is it? Who wrote it? Why is it important to traditional Christians? And more. So the Nicene Creed was put together in the year 325 AD, so 325 years after Christ. No one who was alive at that time, at the time the creed was put together, had been alive during Christ's lifetime or his apostles' lifetimes. If you think about it, more time had passed between the resurrection and the writing of the Nicene Creed than has passed of the United States becoming a country to today, right? Like none of us were alive when George Washington was around. Like that's that's pretty far back. And I see in Creed is looking back even more than that to the resurrection of Christ. So they've got some um, history going on. They have some facts to get sorted out. And what had happened was a lot of different leaders in the church we're teaching different things. Um, when those things kind of didn't work, didn't produce good fruit, weren't in align with what Jesus taught, it often it just sort of died out. But one guy comes along, his name is Arius, and he does not die out. He, in fact, he he's gaining in popularity. People want to listen to what he says. And here's his basic argument. If the father begat the son, he who was begotten, that is the son, had a beginning of existence. And, and from this, we can surmise there is a time when the son did not exist, right? So, so he's saying, because Jesus is the only begotten of the father, he, he got begotten at some point, meaning before that he was not the son of the father. This is a heresy, it's called Arianism. 
named after our buddy Arian or Arius. So on a side note, if you have been paying attention to these videos, you might remember the very first week we started out with the question of, was Jesus created? And your Latter-day Saint ears probably heard that and thought, who in the world is even talking about this stuff? Well, this is a very old heresy that has been talked about since the 300s and before. And evangelicals have historically misunderstood Latter-day Saints as believing this. You, you will hear this sometimes. You don't believe that Jesus was eternal. You believe that Jesus was created. We don't believe that, but they have a misunderstanding that we do. So in theological conversations, a really bad insult to throw at someone is to call them an Arian or saying they, they believe this heresy that Arius taught it, taught it, that Arius taught. Um, and evangelicals think that we believe this, that Jesus has not always existed. So it's a it's a jab. They're, I mean, they're throwing a they're throwing a punch a little bit. Hopefully your friends and family are not doing it in some content contentious way towards you, but that's what it is. Okay, so back to the Nicene Creed. Um, during this era, Constantine is the emperor. And at this time, he has made Christianity the state religion. Now, Constantine is a smart guy. He, he's not the emperor for nothing. Um, he can read the tea leaves and he sees what's happening with this guy, Arius. And his teachings are going to destabilize the entirety of Christianity. There is no way for what he is teaching to be compatible with what the rest of Christianity is believing. Constantine is worried that the stability of Christianity is going to undermine the stability of the entire Holy Roman Empire, right? So, so he has political concerns here. Um, do, does he have spiritual concerns? I don't know. History has judged him different ways over time. So Constantine asks the leaders of the church to come together and hammer out what the church actually believes. And they do it in a city called Nicaea which is how we get the Nicaean Creed. Nicaea is in Turkey. It still exists. It's called Iznik today. It's in the northern part of Turkey. If, you, if you've been following the news, you know some big earthquakes happened in Turkey. All of them were in the southern part of the country. Iznik is in the northern part um, near Istanbul, which used to be Constantinople, named after Constantine. Um, so the leaders of the church, they meet in this northern city, Nicaea, and they want to lay down once and for all what the church believes in part so that Arius gets knocked down. The creed, it was a collaborative effect. There were many um, bishops and leaders of the church that were invited to come to this council. But really the three main authors of this creed are called the Cappadocian Fathers. And they're from a nearby town near near Iznik or Nicaea, um, called Cappadocia. That's why we call them the Cappadocian Fathers. This is all in Turkey. Um, if you don't know about Cappadocia, do yourself a favor and Google Cappadocia. It's gorgeous. It's on my bucket list of places I want to visit. Um, so the Cappadocian Fathers are from there. Um, and, and who they are, there's three of them. 
two of them are brothers and one of them is is just a good friend who grew up with them um and in the in the background this is just for a tiny bit of interest in the background is the sister of the two brothers her name is macrena and and the three cappadocian fathers they call her their teacher she was said to understand theological concepts really deeply more than her brothers and their friend did. Um, and so they they receive a lot of tutoring from Macrena. Um, just of interest, there's a bakery in Seattle named after her. You can go there and, and have some bread. So the Cappadocian fathers and, the, and their sister Macrena, they really form the framework for the Nicene Creed. So the question, the reason why we're going down this path at all is to ask, what does the Nicene Creed say about Jesus? It says a lot of things. I'm going to read you just the portion about Jesus. This is in an English translation. There's a number of, <clears throat> of English translation, translations of the Nicene Creed. I'll read you this one. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified <clears throat> under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will be without end. The only place a Latter-day Saint might quibble with what is said here about Jesus is that he is one being with the Father. <clears throat> so in English, that sounds a lot softer than it does in Greek. In English, you can almost imagine like stretching that phrase out as far as it could be stretched and landing on some kind of understanding of the Godhead that is close to what we believe, but not in Greek, <laughs> um, which is what the creed was written in. In Greek, it don't stretch. The Greek word here is homoousios, meaning the same substance. So it's saying Jesus and, and Heavenly Father are made out of the same substance. This is the exact spot where they take a left turn into Trinitarian thinking. It's sort of the best minds that they had at the time. They were doing their absolute best to nail down what do we actually believe. And they make a weird left turn here. Um, they have a hard time disambiguating God the Father from Jesus Christ. They end up seeing them as the same thing. And, and pro problems ensued. I point all of this out because it is a really interesting example of how Latter-day Saints have taken a creedal statement, that is a statement that's supposed to be set in stone, and we can apply ongoing revelation to that in a way that undoes that weird left turn they took in 325. Like, they got a lot right in the creed. Fast forward all the way to the 1800s, and Joseph Smith is able to make a little tweak. Like, let's get back on the right path here. 
I think you are able to see from here that the number of ways to approach the question from the evangelicals of, of do you believe in the same Jesus, um, a plain answer would be something like, yes, that's exactly what we believe in. We have correct, corrected an error that happened 300 years after Christ. But it gets kind of difficult here because evangelicals, they do a really normal and human thing at this point. You know, standing where we're standing today, 2023, looking back over history, the year 30 and the year 300 seem pretty much like the same thing. Um, if you asked, if you asked most people to tell you five developments that happened between the year 30 and the year 300, they couldn't do it. We think of those as exactly the same thing, even though we can look at our own history and say, well, gosh, the founding of our country, our lives are really radically different than theirs were back then. 2,000 years from now, they might look back and be like, yeah, I guess their lives were, were mostly the same. 30 AD and 300 AD are pretty much the same to folks in 2023. So when your evangelical friends have a hard time seeing the difference between what's taught about Jesus in the New Testament and what's taught about Jesus in the creeds, they're not trying to be difficult or, or obstinate. They're standing in 2023, and they just can't quite squint hard enough to see the difference between the New Testament and Nicaea. That's what's happening there. Recently, I had a missionary ask me something like, do evangelicals literally think that we believe in another boy named Jesus who also had a mother named Mary? who grew up at the exact same time and had the exact same things happen to him? No, that's not what they're saying when they ask if we believe in the same Jesus. What they mean is that their concept of Jesus has been shaped by the creeds in some ways, just as much if not more than by scripture. We might say that they have an extra scriptural book that they call the creeds. And that they have been shaped by that. Well, they would say that the creeds are just a summary of what is already in the New Testament. Despite the fact that the New Testament never mentions homoousius or Jesus and the Father being of the same substance or the Trinity. They're, they're sort of colorblind to the differences between the New Testament and the creeds. So in the 1990s, when Gordon B. Hinckley says that we don't worship the traditional Christ, the evangelicals kind of lose their minds over this because they think that the traditional Christ, that is the Christ portrayed by the creeds, is identical to the biblical Christ. They can't tell the difference. Our rejection of the creeds enables us to embrace a correction to an error that was made by some really well-meaning people. The Cappadocian fathers, their sister Macrina, all the other church leaders who came together to fight off a heresy from a guy named Arius because Constantine was worried about his empire collapsing. We, we fast forward, we see that corrected. And if that isn't the best news ever, I don't know what is, that a, that a huge theological point like that could be 
fixed. <clears throat> we are not stuck in the burden of somebody else's misstep. It, just because they thought that we should be bound to it forever does not mean that we are. The reality is we share a deep love of Jesus with our evangelical friends and the vast majority of items we agree with them on. And where we don't, it's because we're open to God's ongoing revelation, including God's ongoing correction to where things went wrong. So I hope you've enjoyed this conversation and have a bit more understanding of why and how this question comes up and maybe how to talk about it instead. Join us next time. We will get to work on our next topic. We'll see you then.